I actually teach. I don't know how many of you guys know this. This version of my notes that I have on my iPad that I teach from each week is actually pulled straight from the website. So I had to teach off of the website each week. So with that being said, good morning. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm a geek. Good morning. good morning. There we go. All right. So we're in John chapter 11 today. This is the fifth week of our five weeks looking at the miracles of Jesus. And that's kind of like saying we spent five weeks going through the Encyclopedia Britannica, and now we understand it, right? It, no, I mean, this is skimming the surface of, of what was going on here. Um, so a quick review of the five lessons that we've gone through, uh, and some of, the, some of the lessons that we've learned uh, in feeding the 5,000, and you'll see that these things build as we go through. In feeding the 5,000, we see that Jesus can meet our physical needs, right? So we've got this idea of we're hungry, Jesus is here, he's the bread of life, and he feeds. That's what he does, which is kind of cool. Uh, in walking on water, we see that Jesus meets um, and can supersede natural laws. Right? So we've got this idea of um, there are things that we are constrained by. Right? Would you agree? There are things that we are constrained by that did not constrain Jesus, which is kind of cool. Right? So he can make stuff up with food, and he can supersede natural laws. The third lesson in this series was healing a blind man. So he has supernatural power to heal. He can create out of nothing, which kind of reminds us of what? It goes back to Genesis 1, right, where he created out of nothing. That's what he, he was still doing the same thing because that's what he does. Last week, uh, Terry Bolden threw it down with the demon-possessed man and shows us that these demons did all this fighting, right? And Jesus just says, come out of them. Go that way. And that was the end of the fight, right? Um, most of you guys know that I'm really, really big into mixed martial arts. I enjoy uh, ultimate fighting, uh, cage fighting, all that sort of stuff. And we have a small group that meets at our house where we watch this. And never once, never once in all these fights that I have watched, during the stare down, you know, because the stare down is kind of the cool part, right? Because you've got these two guys that are just ready to tear into each other. Never once during the stare down has somebody gone, get out of here. And the other guy went, yeah, okay, whatever, I'm gone. Doesn't work that way. They fight it out. But the demons had absolutely nothing left when Jesus said, go. That was it. That was the end of the argument. It was over. Jesus wins right there. And we go, and the disciples are watching this going, who is this man? He is the son of God. I mean, there's nobody else that can control demons like this. This is incredible. And then today we see, in raising Lazarus from the dead. Let me say that again. In raising Lazarus from the dead. He wasn't unconscious. He wasn't in a coma. He wasn't sleeping really, really hard. He was dead. Jesus shows his power over death. So there's nothing else left that he has to beat on this earth. Right? He's beaten it all. And he hadn't even gone to the cross yet. And sometimes we forget that Jesus' work also included this lifelong process of beating things that we struggle with. So what's he showing us? He's showing us that he can handle whatever comes our way. Now, one of the neat things about each one of these five events, with what did Jesus make the bread and the fish? What did he use to make the bread and the fish? His prayer, right? and his hands. 
right? He broke it. He got personally involved. When Jesus walked on the water, he didn't just calm the storm from a distance. He personally got involved. When he healed the blind man, he literally got his hands dirty, right? He spit in the ground and made some clay and... I'm, I'm still, that's just nasty. I'm sorry. I'm just too, way too OCD and clean to wanting somebody to spit in my eyes and put mud, and that's just, it's awful. But he got his hands dirty. Last week, with a demon-possessed man, is the first time that Jesus doesn't actually touch something because the power of his word is strong enough to break any spiritual bond, which is fantastic for us. And then today, we come to the raising of Lazarus, and we see him do something that we haven't seen him do before in these five stories, and that's act immediately. He doesn't act immediately in this story. He lets something play out so that, and get this, and this is not prideful, so that he will look better at the end of the story. Now, all of us have gone through stuff in our lives where we have waited for something to play out so that we could kind of look good and step in and be the hero, right? I mean, nobody's ever done that. We, we've done this, right? Waiting for the optimal time, I'll look really good right here, and I'll step in. And that's pride. But when Jesus does that, that's actually okay because he's the only one worth looking good, right? He, he is good. So it's okay when he does that. So we're in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, you got your Bibles? Your iPads, your iPhones, your droids, you ready to go? Here we go. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. Now, when you hear the name Lazarus, what do you think? Dead. Okay, that's probably good. What else do you think? Because the, the name Lazarus shows up twice in the Bible, and both times it's associated with death. Right? There's the rich man and Lazarus, right? That story. Rich man goes to not good. Lazarus goes to really good, right? And there's death involved. And then in this story, Lazarus is also associated with death. Now, this guy, Lazarus, is not the same Lazarus as Jesus was using in that story. Two totally different places, not the same guy. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with the fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Now, there's an interesting timeline here. Um, we have to think about the Bible as not only relevant today, but relevant in the day that it was written, okay? So who wrote the Gospel of John? John, right, okay, start off easy. When John wrote the Gospel of John, it was the last Gospel to be written probably close to the end of the first century uh, A.D., he wrote this Gospel, and this Mary, there's several Marys in the New Testament, this Mary was famous for one thing. She was famous for breaking over, open this ointment, putting it on uh, Jesus, and wiping his feet with her hair. Which I don't know how much more humbled you can get when you are wiping your, your hair on somebody's... I mean, that's... Talk about ultimate submission. I mean, this is lowering yourself, right? Well, this story in the Gospel of John actually happens in John chapter 12. So we haven't gotten there yet, but John is telling everybody, this is the particular Mary that I'm talking about. So when we get to it in the next chapter, if you read the Gospel of John all the way through, you're kind of like, whoop, whoop, she was in, it's backward? No, no, it's not backward. He's just telling everybody this is the particular Mary. So, verse 3. Therefore the sisters, Mary and Martha, 
sent to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, did they ask a question here? No. They just made a statement. And every one of us, I hope you do, but every one of us has friends that all you have to do is state the need. You don't have to ask. You just state the need, and they know, I need to step up and help with this. Right? Um, the, one of the first times I remember this happening with Justin Harness, I was describing the fact that we were going on vacation um, to... Why are y'all not sitting at the same... This is... Okay. Oh, okay. All right. I'm looking up, and I'm expecting to see my wife sitting where Lori Drake is sitting. And I, no, that's not Julie. Where's Julie at? She's over here. Okay, there we go. So I'm kind of got my... We'll do this, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I told Justin, I said, we're traveling to um, Mobile, Alabama, and going to spend some days down there with Julie's family, and uh, just would love it if the car made it all the way there and back. That would be kind of cool. I didn't ask. I did not ask. And five seconds later, he's reaching in his pockets going, here's the keys to the truck. Why don't you take the truck? I know the truck will make it because I actually buy decent vehicles. <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't say that. That was roughly translated, right? Um, but sometimes you don't even have to ask. You can just state something, and people come try to help and fill the need. Does that make sense? We've all experienced this at some point? Okay, so verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, something that I didn't talk about last week, uh, two weeks ago, rather, with the story of the blind man. Um, uh, in, in modern American Christianity, there is this ridiculously awful, toxic, poisonous theology out there where if, that, that teaches that if you become a Christian everything's going to be rosy for you, right? You can just uh, name it and claim it. You can say, uh, in Jesus' name, I'll be healed, and you're going to be fantastically healed, and everything's great, and I'm just here to tell you that's a load of garbage. Um, I believe in the God bless you part, but I don't believe in the name it and claim it part. Okay? Um, I think Joel Osteen is one of the greatest speakers in the world today. He is a phenomenally gifted speaker. But his theology in this area is toxic because he is selling people on a Jesus and a God that does not exist. And it is problematic. And when you come to passages like this in the New Testament that say, Lazarus is going to die so that God can look good, that is not consistent with that theology. When you come to passages where this blind man the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus said, nobody sinned. He just, he's blind so that the Son of God can look good. Really? So sickness, in our sickness, we can glorify God. Yeah, we can. We sure can. And if you haven't experienced this in your life, I say, praise God that you haven't had to go through that kind of sickness. But if you have experienced this kind of sickness... That's the reality of the broken world that we live in. The earth that we live in today is groaning because we jacked it up. Okay? If you want the entire story of the Bible in eight words, you ready? God built, man broke, Jesus saved, God wins. That's it. It's the whole story of the Bible. And we messed it all up. 
And because of that, there are consequences to that. So, verse 4, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Well, duh, right? <laughs> you know, there are verses in the Bible where you read them and you go, yeah, thank you, Captain Obvious, right? I don't want to insult the Holy Spirit here, but no kidding. Jesus loved everybody. Why would it point this out? Well, to make the point in verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, let's see if you can finish this sentence. We are saved to, not to, and what is Jesus doing? He is literally sitting. Hmm. But you know why he's sitting? So that he will be glorified and that God will be glorified and that people will believe that he is the son of God to listen to his message. Now, this is his plan, and keep that in the back of your head while we read through this uh, account and see if it happens at the end, because it might be interesting. Verse 7, Then after this he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And his disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going there again? There are times in the Bible where I wish we knew the inflection and the tone of the questions. And I think this is one of those, so you know that they tried to stone you there the last time? And we've promised, we're going to go everywhere you go. But you know that they promised to stone you there last time, right? I would be a little hesitant here. Understatement. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. What? <laughs> I love this. Jesus just kind of goes, they ask him a question, and he's just way over here. And they're going, we didn't get that. He's going, you, didn't, you weren't supposed to get it right now. You're supposed to get it later on. Because Jesus hides revelation from us until it is appropriate for us to know it. And for us, in this information age, this is an obnoxiously arrogant way to live, right? That to think that somebody would hide information from me? No, I should Google it, dang it. It should be instantly available, and it should be free, right? And if it's not, I'm going to hack into it and make it free. I mean, you know, it's just, that's, that's our culture, our, our mindset. Verse 11, these things he said, and after that he said them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. <laughs> it's like, we don't need to go if he's just napping. Come on. Verse 13, however, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus said to them plainly. <laughs> That's what it says. Like, you, you make this stuff up, right? Lazarus is dead. I can almost see Lazarus is dead, right? Just let me spell it out for you here. He is dead. I'm not talking about sleeping. And I'm glad he does this, right? And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas. Now, what's Thomas known for? Doubting. Careful, though. Sometimes you get a reputation, and that reputation is not always consistent with your entire behavior. What does Thomas say? Let us also go that we may die with him. 
man, that's, that's loyalty. It's pessimistic loyalty, but it's loyalty, right? I mean, we're going, let's go die. Let's go die with Jesus. Here we go. And you're like, really? That's what you want to do? Yeah, that's what he was ready to do. He was ready to go die with Jesus. And you go, something admirable about that. Something a little off in the head about that too, but there's something admirable about that. So verse 17. So I'll, verse 1 through 16 is talking about what we're fixing to go do. So verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb. This is Lazarus. had already been in the tomb four days. So four days. Okay. The Jews had a legend, and the legend was that the spirit, when you die, hangs around the body for about three days just to see if you're kind of just mostly dead. Okay? Because sometimes you can be mostly dead and a chocolate pill will take care of that. But <laughs> mostly dead, right? And, and we can kind of surmise why this, this particular legend might come around because there are things such as comas, right, where you can get just, you're out for a couple days and, and then you revive. And people with limited medical knowledge would look at this and go, oh my gosh, it's a resurrection, Right? So they waited three days. They buried him the same day he died because you've you got to make certain actions happen here. It's a hot part of the world. Um, they bury him as soon as he dies, but the idea was that after four days, on the fourth day, you're done. There's no hope at this point. There's no hope for resurrection. You're done. Verse 18. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem. Did I do some cool hand motions there? Is that what that was? Oh, okay. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the, I have really good peripheral vision for those of you that think that I, for those of you that think that I can't see what you're doing, I really can. Many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary, and this is a beautiful statement, right, because their brother has just died, and this is the community coming together to grieve, and this is good. This is good and right to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Almost seems a little backward, right? Because Mary was always the one who was like, Jesus! Oh man, Jesus is here! Woo! Right? We're, I hope I didn't put a hole in my pants. I probably did, didn't I? <laughs> Julie's looking at me. Did I? Ooh, I skinned them pretty good. So that was my soccer score to goal slide right there. I didn't ever play soccer, sorry. Now, but Mary was the one that just ran out and was always about it. But Martha goes out and meets him here. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which is a true statement, possibly. Maybe. I don't know. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to her, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, Martha is a, a realist. She's got to have everything logically explained. I'm Martha. Okay? When I hear a statement, I instantly try to categorize it into knowledge that I already have categorized. Right? I put it in my little Excel spreadsheet, and it's sorted, and there we go. It fits right there, and I can, I can rationalize this. So Martha tries to rationalize this, and then Jesus says... Put your rationalization away and just listen. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That is a powerful statement. 
because we hear all the time, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And very rarely in my experience with church have I heard sermons on he is the resurrection. I hear sermons that he resurrected. I don't hear very often that he is the resurrection. But he is the resurrection. He is the resurrection. Without him, there is no resurrection. What would we have to get up for? It would be worthless. I don't want heaven if Jesus isn't there. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, Mary arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Okay, now we feel better, right? Because now Mary's back to where Mary normally is. And everything's good with the story. Saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Does that sound familiar? What does it sound like? It sounds like what Martha just said. Now, when you hear two different people come up to you and tell you the exact same words, what's the first thing that goes through your head? They've been talking, right? They've been talking. And this makes sense, right? They would have been spending a lot of time together. Their brother just died. There's arrangements to be made. Somebody's got to get the tomb ready. Somebody's got to put the rocks together. Somebody's got to get all the ashes together because they would dress in black and they put ashes on their head and they would sing sad songs and they'd do this for seven days and it was loud and it was, they would spend time together. And surely that whole concept of, you know, our friend Jesus could have fixed this might would have come up. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and this is, this is a Greek word that means, ah! Now, how many of you have been to funerals where there was somebody that was weeping like that? You ever been? And it is, it is sad. It is sad. It is, oh man, it's just, it's almost overwhelming. So when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, doing this same thing, he groaned in the spirit. Does anybody have a different translation for that? Groaned in the spirit? It was deeply moved. Anybody else? There you go. That's a much better translation. The, the word for groaned is literally snorted in anger. What would he be angry at? What would he be angry at? Their unbelief? What else? I, I think he might be angry at the whole concept of death and its impact on people that he loves. He sees, because everybody saw he loved, which is amazing to me, but everybody saw they loved, and this death is grieving them. They are wailing out, and he is angry at this. So what happens? What does he do? And he said, where have you laid him? Now, did he know the answer to this question? Yes, he knew the answer to this question. Okay. That's the cool thing about Jesus. You know, you never ask a question you didn't know the answer to already. So it makes you wonder why he asked the question. Because he's getting somewhere. They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, 
This is the, probably one of the first verses you ever memorized in the Bible, right? So you can say, I memorized a verse. Jesus wept. Now, it's a totally different Greek word, totally different Greek word than for weeping up in verse 33. This is the word that simply describes the fact that tears came out of his eyes. That's it. There's no wailing. There was no out of control. This is strength under control. But it's also the fact that God is crying. Now, we don't need to miss that. God cried. Sometimes we have this idea of God that it's, you know, he's some distant thing that's just so impersonal and partial. No, he, he cried. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And Jesus cried here. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Which seems to us like a strange statement because we put keeping somebody from dying way up here and maybe like giving somebody sight lower down the miracle scale, right? Because there's varieties of miracle. We say feeding the 5,000, well, that's probably low. I mean, even when I, in my introduction, I started off with something seemingly easy and we kind of built up to something hard. The Jews, however, knew that the Messiah was the only one that could give sight to the blind. So giving sight to the blind was this way high up thing. So if you could do this, anything was possible. That was the sign. So, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. So he's getting angrier. Now, when God gets angry in the Bible, something big always immediately happens. You can just go do a study on the anger of God, and something big always immediately happens. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Don't you love foreshadowing in the Bible? Because this would happen again in a couple weeks, right? Because we're weeks away now. And Martha, practical, literal, Excel spreadsheet loving Martha, right? Says, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he's been dead four days. You know, let's just think this through. Just take a second. Deep breath, right? Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Another cool thing to study in the Bible is when God repeats himself. Cool stuff happens. Verse 41, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Past tense. And I know that you always hear me because of the people who are standing by I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus and God have already worked this out, what's going to happen here. Right? I don't know if Jesus asked for help or strength or he just did it on his own, I don't know. But they've already worked it out and this prayer is not for Jesus. This prayer is for everybody that's listening so that they can know we've already worked this out. Something big's about to happen. Now, Jesus had said these things. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And that was it. No hocus pocus. No 
Cat's coming out of the hat. No special words, just Lazarus come forth. Verse 44, and he who had died came out. <laughs> I have in my notes, boom. Because that changed everything, right? Because now this guy who could feed people out of nothing, who could walk on water and defy physical law, uh, natural laws, who could heal people, who could cast out demons, now he shows his power over the only enemy that was left, and it's death. So what can he not do? Nothing. He came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, said to them, loose him and let him go. Which is kind of nice, right? Because he's still... Right? I mean, wrapped up tight. They wrapped him up tight so that the ointment and the spices that they put on his body to keep him from stinking too badly would seep into his body. Okay, so he's wrapped up tight. He comes out, and he's, Jesus is saying, let him go. Now, throughout every single one of these miracles, there's been this group of people on the side that have been throwing stones, sometimes literally, right? Throwing stones at Jesus saying, you are claiming to be God, and we're going to get you one day. The scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders, right? Well, enter them. Verse 45, then many of the Jews who came to Mary had seen these things, had seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him. Now, why did Jesus say he was going to do this miracle? So that the glory of God could be seen. And what happens? The glory of God was seen. <laughs> and it, it changes people. In verse 46, but some of them went away. And you're like, what? You just saw a man come back from you saw it and they went away and we look at this and we go how do you miss this how do you miss this and I'm here to tell you that no matter who you are or what your story is not everyone will believe it it's just a reality but that doesn't mean we're not supposed to tell it we tell the story so who'd they go away to they went away to the Pharisees and told the things which Jesus did and the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council because that's the logical thing to do, right? Let's call a meeting. If somebody's first response is to call a meeting, just time out, right? We're, that was a joke, but okay. Y'all like meetings, okay. They called a meeting, and they said, what shall we do for this man works many signs? If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. They knew he was a threat. And, if, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So what were they concerned about? themselves. And these are the religious leaders, so what should they have been concerned about? They should have been concerned about the people, and they weren't. And it shows the difference between Jesus and these folks. Skip down to verse 53. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death, which I think is one of the dumbest statements in all of Scripture. Because what has this guy just shown that he can beat? Death. And what are they going to do to him? Kill him. And guess what? That ain't going to work. <laughs> It is not going to work. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. And, and the Pharisees put out this rule that if anybody knows where he is, they should go and they should kill him. And we go, really? This is just such a challenge to what's going on. Now, 
My question is, what happens to Lazarus? Right? Because the blind man, the blind man had a heck of a story to tell. Right? I was blind and now I see. Lazarus, I was dead. Can you imagine these two talking? Like, let me tell you what Jesus did. Oh, really? He talked to me too? Yeah, he put my eyes back in my head. Man, it was awesome. Really? Oh, okay, they hit me. He pulled me out of the grave. I was dead. Man, I was wrapped up. Came out. Right? I was dead. Can you imagine these two? In John chapter 12, you know what it says the Jews and the religious leaders tried to do? They put out a plot to kill Lazarus. Because how do you refute this man's teaching if a dead man is walking? You can't. There are no bullets left in your gun to shoot at this guy. If he can heal people from the, bring people back from the dead, there's nothing left. How do you fight a battle against a man who cannot die? You lose. That's how you fight that battle. You lose every time. So, what's the point of this story today? Jesus got personally involved. And I still think this is the most beautiful thing about Jesus. And it really is, to me, captures the whole story of Jesus. Because God shows up in the Old Testament, right, in Mount Sinai, and what do the people do? They run. 3,000 people died that day, actually. It was an awful, awful day. So what does God show up as in the New Testament? He shows up as Jesus. And Jesus didn't scare people away like that because he looked like us. God changed his mechanism for interacting with us. Number two, love can cause strong emotions. It made God cry. Sometimes we get this feeling that, you know, God's just this distant thing. No, 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 no. He cried. God actually cried. And then number three, death is not the end of the story. Now, you know what the Greek says um, when Lazarus had been in the tomb four days? The literal Greek says he's a fourth-day man. And my Emmaus friends will know what that means, but he's a fourth-day man. Isn't that cool? Fourth day. Everything changes on the fourth day. Massive things take place on the fourth day. It's a beautiful thing. So what do I do with that? Well, get involved, right, because Jesus got involved. Love visibly. It's okay for somebody to see it. And then tell his story. If you put those words together, his and story, you know what you get? History. That's what history is. It's his story. Because he wrote the book. Yeah, it's misspelled. It's okay. We'll share the S. All right, guys. Um, there is actually a blank sheet of paper at your table. Prayer requests can go on that. And Miss Darla will snatch those up for us at the end. That'd be awesome.